Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here at Seabus Super, over the next three years, we're investing $1 billion into Seabus property. Building high-quality, sustainable developments around Australia and creating healthy long-term investments for members like me to enjoy in retirement. CBUS, for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you this is The Final Word, cricket podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Hello. A wistful episode. This is this is our last time together, Adam. We're in the same room. We're looking at one another, deep into one another's eyes as we <laughs> contemplate cricket. But tonight you will be on an aeroplane. Uh, little Winnie is asleep in the other room preparing for uh, the unholy many, many, many hours of not enough sleep as you traverse the globe to go back to the UK, back into the teeth of it. Your decision, I won't uh, venture to make an assessment on whether it's a good one, but that's what's happening, that's the reality. We will be separated again. Yes, Marty, we need to go back back to the future. It feels mm. a little bit that way, uh, going back straight into the, the plague. Although I think the, the signs out of the UK have been progressively better over the last couple of weeks with the vaccine rollout, but there's no denying the fact that it'll be a very different lifestyle uh, that we're walking back into uh, at home, or our other home uh, in London, compared to the freedoms 
things we've enjoyed through a beautiful Australian summer. Like I suppose that's the positives that we're trying to take from the last couple of days here is that we've been able to see so many loved ones and friends and a family with Winnie for the first time in her first year, which turned one last week, of course, but that's been incredible and we're just so privileged and lucky to have had that chance when so many people haven't been able to travel overseas. So, And a brilliant test series and you know all the other bits and pieces we've got to do along the way. So it's a sad day, yes, but we'll be back soon enough with an Ashes summer. And yeah, I don't really know when you and I will record in the same room. I suppose in the... I was going to say unlikely scenario, the World T20 takes place in India, but I think they'll probably find a way to play it. Mm. The question is, will you and I be permitted to go? If yeah. we are permitted to go, we will go. Or we, we can be sure of mm. that. But that's October, so maybe we'll be doing this on Zoom for the next six months, seven months, something like that. Yeah, long-distance relationships. <laughs> yes. They've always sucked. Um, <laughs> they've, never, they've never really been worth... It was the, yeah, so the Postal Service used to do their songs that way, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, um, sending... They used to send DAT tapes to each yeah, other, I reckon, yeah. like data data tapes and write you know ben gibbons and the, right. the other one whose name i yeah, can't ben remember gibbons and uh, the other one that's the other right one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the garfunkel of the yes. duo <laughs> behind, uh, behind the paul simon and and yeah mailed them to one another uh, hence the name of the band the postal service very nice so uh, yeah it's all coming to an end here but we've got quite a bit on the show to push through before we do any of that though jeff a big day for you as well yesterday as mm. far as the, the dan o'connell the pub team you've played for for many years given that the dan is no longer and that's very sad that means the Dan O'Connell Cricket Club is also no longer by extension or at least not in this form and you had your farewell game yesterday in Fairfield and you did okay as well yeah uh, well on a on a personal basis it was quite enjoyable um from a club basis it was a bit sad because the 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 pub which has been around since what 1890 or something one of those old red brick um, heritage listed buildings I beautiful think, place I think it's been bought by like the Fitzroy Community School or something it's going to be an early learning centre or something so it's kind of oh, nice. that's a lot better I thought originally yeah. when you told me that I jumped I put two and two together and thought Apartments. big private school have bought it to <laughs> yeah. run their croquet yeah, comp or something their flute program yeah, or whatever exactly. it is but I think it might be a slightly better outcome than okay. that and also it's not going to be a facade outside like a 15 story apartment building which is also good yeah. but you know it is it is sad it's empty now I went past it the other day it's been all like graffiti to shit on the outside as soon as you leave a building empty people are like let's trash it <laughs> um, which really sucks when it's a heritage listed building and yeah. stuff you're like yeah okay that's just a massive clean up job now I'm not fundamentally opposed to graffiti I just think like maybe a little selective. I thought there might be a caveat there from you a little selectiveness <laughs> did you used to tag things when you were growing up look I I, uh, I lived on the Hurstbridge line <laughs> there were not many trains that were not decorated um, it was a rite of passage it was it was, it, it was part of what you were supposed to do to fit in yeah so yeah look there may have been a bit of dabbling but um, but, but we had a good game we played the pinnacle went down in the last over they won with two balls to spare while we were defending um, it was a you know a proper pub cricket day yep and uh i i do have to i do have to make this point There's indulge a, well look i feel that people who listen to this show maybe maybe there are a couple of camps one camp might be people who are genuinely hopeless at cricket and they would assume that because we do a cricket show we would both have a core competence at cricket in some form now this is true of adam who fundamentally knows how to do things like catch a cricket ball and hit a cricket ball and so on <laughs> it is not true of me and there are other people who because who are probably quite competent cricketers who listen to this show and they assume that i mean anybody knows how to do these things right except not everybody does um so normally i bat 11 i ended up at nine because we had a couple of injuries i don't score runs really i mean i usually make like maybe two or four yep. or maybe six on a good day 
Which you round up to 10 and you... No, I've never rounded them up. I'm, ha- okay. I'm happy with... Look, I've, I think I've played seven seasons and I made double figures twice before yesterday. But 10 not out, happy with that. But the first ball over cover for four nice. to get off the mark. I've never had a better feeling in my life. It's like, <laughs> don't have cover up to me, champ. You know? um, and they had an enormous bloke at cover. He was like six foot five, like, you know, skyscraper of a dude. And I went clear over his head, middle of the bat. Didn't even feel the impact. Like, you know, I, I've imagined, I have imagined this. I've never felt it. But when you time it properly, you don't feel You don't feel it. Hit. Yeah, and that's it, was, it. And it just disappeared. And my whole team went absolutely bonkers because they know that I'm shit. Did the, um, <laughs> did the opposition have any inkling to what you do for a living? Was uh, there any chat? No, there was no chat. I mean, it's all very friendly and, okay. and civil out there. Um, and did they put a deep cover out after that shot? I think they dropped them back. Yeah, as they should. <laughs> as they should. I remember when we were making those videos of you in the nets teaching you how to bat in yeah. Abu Dhabi, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah it was Abu Dhabi when we, when we you know, had Mike Hussey coaching you. Mm. By the end of those net sessions, you were playing nicely through cover. It was mostly off the back foot, admittedly, but yep. you managed to get that arc. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really hit the ball through the leg side, but you could kind of... So I'm not surprised to hear that's where your boundary came. Yeah, and, and, and then uh, I played other shots to the offside. I've never played more than one shot to the offside in innings. I played a cut shot. <laughs> like, and I hit one over the bowler's head. I mean, they were all for singles. But, you know, this was, it was quite a big day. And I also, in seven seasons at the DRCCC, I'd never taken a catch because I always field at fine leg because I'm like, I can't catch. Like, yep. I, I don't, I'm fundamentally frightened of smashing my fingers. And, <laughs> and my body's like, no, my mind says, take the catch. My body's like, no, we're not doing it. But I was bowling and one went straight up, like miles up and it was like oh god it's the keeper's catch it's got to be the keeper's catch and I was like shit it's not it's mine it's got-. but I actually had time to panic and then stop panicking because it was up there for so long and then be like alright I'm just going to relax and, and try to and I ended up kind of chest marking it and like hanging onto it what somehow. do they say the, the good catchers say the key is taking your breath when the ball's in the air yeah right because when you hold your breath you're more likely to tense up tense up okay I've remembered, oh, I think it was like probably Dean Jones or someone like that yeah, when I was right. a kid said that. I've always tried to maintain that. Try and take a breath when the ball's in the air. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the chest mark though was a nice way to... Yeah. It was an appropriate way for you to take the snaffle. Well, it was. Um, it was It was sort of forearms really more than hands. But yep. like you take them. And it was just, it was nice that I was like, okay, at the final opportunity, I actually contributed in all three columns. Wicket, catch, runs never happened before that was fantastic nice. and uh you didn't win the game but enjoyed a night at the pinnacles and is this pinnacle still have that sort of outdoor area with a, a see-through roof like a balcony kind of bit like a big it's, it's got a it's got a beer garden out the back with a yeah sort of semi-transparent kind of smoking area yeah that's what I'm, a, I'm thinking well, i was basically trying to get to is the smoking room still there <laughs> it sounds like probably not what it used not to quite be. in the same form because i've had to do the divisions where you're not allowed to eat where you smoke you know oh, that right. sort of yeah, weird yeah, yeah. rule where initially it was like uh we don't want people smoking in the eating areas but then that translates to you're not allowed to eat in the smoking areas <laughs> like even if you want to take your burger in there and have a dart you it is against the law for you to do so. Uh, all these happy times in Melbourne pubs. Anyway, mm. we'll return to all that in November. Uh, we're also going to return, Jeff, uh, to the India England Daily one day after I return. So yeah. I'll be waking up at. Well, I don't really know how this will work, come to think of it. So I get back on Tuesday UK time. The test match yeah. starts on. Mm, starts on Wednesday, which it, will mean that I'm getting a, up at... Th- no, it's a day-nighter. Day-nighter. So you'll be getting up later. Day-nighter. How good's that? Anyway, the Good point, for you, not good for me. Yeah, I'll, not, be, I'll be up till 4am. You'll be up till 4am, but I'll get up a bit later. But still, mm. we'll, we'll be straight rolling into that, which is exciting. 
because uh, we know how to do this stuff remotely now. We've learnt mm-hmm. over the last six months or so how to video ourselves remotely and Cam Fink's been instrumental to that. So if you've enjoyed what we've done on YouTube through the series so far, we'll be back on there. Of course, the podcast feed will be populated probably an hour or so after the close of play at that massive new stadium at Ahmedabad, mm. um, which we'll talk about throughout the course of that test match. Very funny getting pictures of the wicket eight days before a test match and everyone's like, ooh, it looks green. You're like, yeah, no shit. It's made of grass. Yeah, like everybody, of it, looks- everybody's made that mistake at some point, right? Uh. I think everybody at some point has seen a pitch a long way out and kind of put two and two together and, and reach five. Mm. I'm not sure some of the people who are tweeting about it, th- there might have been some, shall we say, bad faith actors in there okay. <laughs> over the last few days uh, giving the impression that this might be a certain way. I think that might be governed by the way the only other day-night test match in India played out inside three days. Eden inside Gardens. two days almost, I reckon. I think, yeah, I think you're right. beat Bangladesh in, maybe it was two days in a session, might have been, but it was yeah, not long. And, it was, and the pink ball did plenty yeah. uh, on that occasion, the pink SG. But I'm certain after what happened last week, they'd be mad to produce a pitch mm. that's perfect for Broad and Anderson, who presumably will play together alongside Wood, Archer or Stone as the third seamer. Mark mm. Wood was in the media the other day saying they're all queuing up to play, so there'll be no management of injuries, so to speak, There's for not really a, test. It's not a queue if Archer's available, is it? Like, if Joffre's fit, surely. Sure. I mean, he's... That's a good question. I, I, I suspect you're right, but if he's three-quarters fit, we've seen yeah. maybe, I mean... There is a longer-term objective here for England at the moment and a lot of white ball cricket coming up for them, which is a priority. I mean, mm. I think you need to be 100% fit to get over the line when you've got Mark Wood there. I thought Stone bowled quite nicely last week as well with the new ball especially. So in pink ball condition... And Stone's going to be a star, no question. So, you know, him bowling alongside Broad and Anderson uh, might have uh, some broader merit. But, yeah, no Moe in Alley now. That wasn't well handled last week, Jeff. I mean, we, we know about the, the rotation and rest policy that they're, they're adopting across this series, and it makes loads of sense, right? Two tests in Sri Lanka, followed by four in India, followed by an entire white ball schedule, then the IPL. But and then going straight into a, a home English summer with, what, two tests against New Zealand, then maybe five the World against Test India. Championship, then five against India. And white ball series against yeah. Pakistan and Sri Lanka and the 100, and it goes on and into, on and on. Basically, into the end of September, straight into the T20 World Cup, straight into the Ashes. Yeah, it's you know. utterly Relentless. Yeah. Never, never has there been a year quite like 2021 for you know man management in English cricket. 2017 was full on, but this is next level. So, you know, everybody I think respects and understands why they need to be clever about this, which is why Josh Butler, for example, I don't um, think everybody does respect and understand that oh, because look, I've I seen a lot a, of yeah, not respecting so and yeah, not understanding <laughs> of it. No, that's fair enough. Everyone think, should respect yeah, and understand. I think when you step back from it, there's an understanding of why they can't be. They can't just play their best 11 every week. That's not mm. going to be sustainable uh, in the long run, especially when you overlay COVID bubbles and, and so on. But this Moeen Alley situation was was particularly unfortunate because it sounds like the way it's been briefed out, he was afforded the chance to stay when his break was coming up after the second test mm. against India, remembering that he was in Sri Lanka but unavailable due to contracting COVID, yeah. which is pretty full on, right? Like you're already in a bubble and then you get... COVID. And then you're on your own for a couple of weeks. Like, that's taxing, yeah. to say the least. But he gets back into the team, has a sort of test match which would almost certainly guarantee his selection in the third, right? Like, I don't expect that Don Best would have replaced Mo and Ali mm. on the basis that he didn't bowl frugally, but he did take wickets with some big turning deliveries and, you know, that flurry of runs at the end when the game was over. It would have been enough for him to have retained his yeah. spot. And Ed Smith, so the reports go, uh, asked him to stay. Will you play the third test match? Which Mo and Ali evidently has but done we, the which done the sums and worked out that if he did stay, it means he won't see his family for another three months or three months in total or whatever it is. And he's like, well, 
after everything that's happened in Sri Lanka, mm. the IPL coming up after that, you know, um, the entire white ball program, which he's returning for in 10 days, he's only just going home for a week before he has to go back into the bubble again. He's like, mm. well, actually, no, I... I will take this chance to to recharge the batteries with the fam, and thus all, but, all help. But the, broke loose the framing for a of, of it that it was a choice was what really bothered me. Yeah, because that wasn't the case for anybody else. That was you, you know Johnny Bairstow played well in Sri Lanka and then went home, and the way it was written about was, oh, Johnny Bairstow will be disappointed to be you know out of the team after playing well and, and not able to to stake his claim yeah the, Butler the, likewise. the conversation around Butler was the same oh it's it's a shame that Butler has to go home before his prescribed rest period when he's played well in the first test and that's not how it was depicted with Moeen and you know you, you can draw your own conclusions as to why that might be but it wasn't depicted that way it was depicted as oh he's made a decision to go home which is absolute bullshit because there wasn't a decision given the schedule they've got coming up, given the fact they're prioritising the T20 World Cup later this year. Uh, he's a much more guaranteed part of that T20 team yep. than he is of the Test team. He's been told of his potential importance to that team. And so uh, this was how it had been set up ahead of time. This was the plan. And and so to turn around and say, oh, it was an opportunity that was given to him to stay, I mean, that's it's, it's just not true. Yeah, and this is where R&R policies often come unstuck. When you're winning, it's great. Mm. You know, they won twice in Sri Lanka. They won the first test match. You know, it's easy to kind of give yourself that latitude there. When you're losing a test and suddenly you're in the scrap of a series, well, you might revert. And that sounds like what was happening here. So I feel as though Moeen shouldn't have been put in this situation to begin with because what, what it does is creates this climate where, I mean, and Root apologised for this and he felt, obvi- I mean, again, based on what Ali Martin's written, what Vish has written, what George has written, as one, I mean, it's been, Root felt dreadful about the clumsy way he answered that question where he said that Moeen has, and I'm, I'm going to misquote Root here, but has chosen to go home, mm. which gave the impression in that split second gave the impression that, oh, hang on a second, maybe he's going home on his own volition. It's got nothing to do with the R&R policy. And then they quickly clarified that, no, 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 he's going home. It was just this chance to stay on. And it was a bit muddied up. And, of course, you you can imagine what happened next, the usual suspects um, on social media depicting it in the way you'd expect them to depict it. And it took those clarifications. It's funny how there's a coincidence the the same way they um, depicted Adil Rashid when he decided not to play red ball cricket for Yorkshire anymore. Yeah, it's, it's the same stuff. I mean, there's no point going into too much depth and, amplifying this position but the point is is that it was scrappy it was unfortunate he has gone home he's only home for a couple of weeks no I think it's a week and he's Mm. back in India within 10 days like it's barely a chance to kind of unpack the suitcase you may as well you know continue living out of the suitcase rather Mm. than hanging up your your clothes or whatever likewise uh, Sam Curran was meant to come back for the fourth test match but now he can't because he can't get a flight commercial flight from from England to Ahmedabad. So, you know, this has got ongoing complications, this policy, and I'm sure it won't be the last we see of it uh, in 2020. 2021, sorry. The the, the key point that a lot of people were hammering was why is he missing a test match and going to play the IPL? And I think the answer to that is very apparent, which is that there is a World Cup this year. It is in the 20-over format, and it's probably happening in India. So... For a player to get the opportunity to play IPL, you know, to play against extremely high-level opposition intensively, you know, pretty much day in, day out, every second or third day, the way that they roster games in the IPL, 
and to play in those conditions, you know, on those grounds, on those pitches, and to to be to, to use that as your preparation. That's not a preparation that everybody in your squad gets. Yep, they don't have the opportunity for they that. Don't get picked and, up for it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if you're, you know, it's a rare sort of thing. Or what there were eight. We're going to talk to Bratz and Derason later in the show about. The IPL auctions and so on, there are eight Australian players picked up, for instance. There aren't that many who get the chance to play in that tournament. And so in a year where winning global silverware is a possibility, you want to give yourself every every opportunity. And maybe this is anathema to people like us who love test cricket, but even from my position, I can see why it might be better to miss a test match than, than to miss some... Key preparation for a tournament. Yeah, and it'll be the same at the other end of the IPL. So, according to reports out of England during the week, the IPL's uh, final stage, if they make it to that, the players make it to that, that, they will stay on in India rather than coming back for the New Zealand Test matches. And I get that jars. Like, I mean, it jars for me. I mean, I can't pretend that doesn't mm. jar for me. But I also respect that there's no perfect solution, and they've, you know, they obviously are dumping all their resources into winning that tournament in October, being dual world champions. That's what they were doing 12 months ago or 18 months ago, building up to the World Cup that didn't happen in Australia. You know, think of Owen Morgan and the power he has seemingly over selection and fair play to him. I mean, if you can exert authority, why wouldn't you? And now they're in a position where it is going to affect the test team. But I think they are taking the view about um, the test team that it can't be the only thing that matters in, in 2021. So, I mean, even take John, Johnny Bairstow. So Johnny Bairstow is back this week, right? But he missed the first two test matches here. The longer term approach was applied to him that he is going to play every white ball game that England plays this year. He will not miss a white ball game. Mm. So how did they find a way to him for him to have a break? They picked the first two India test matches despite the fact that he might be, I mean, in their top three players of spin against the red ball. And he did quite nicely yeah. in Sri Lanka. So and, it's and not just about Moeen or any individual player. I mean, Joss Butler's in a similar boat, missing three test matches here. Everybody is making accommodations to ensure that they have the best chance of winning the World Cup. And you could look at that, those two New Zealand tests and say this is terrible that top choice England players would miss a couple of test matches. But it's worth remembering that those test matches were added late into the schedule. They yeah. weren't there originally. They were announced two months ago. Yeah, they were popped in because New Zealand have made the World Test Championship final and England might. And so England want to have some preparation ahead of time. Yeah, um, it might just predate that. It might be just before New Zealand were confirmed of getting in. But the point is, is that New Zealand were going to be in that part of the world anyway. Mm-hmm. And that obviously lost so much revenue last year during COVID that why not put on two more test matches if they've got the chance to do so? And it's a happy accident, I suppose, that England is still kind of in contention for the WTC. Mm-hmm. The most extreme example example of this and the most amusing probably I think Dave Tickner uh, raised this on Twitter would be that what if England roll New Zealand 2-0 in the series and then there's the opposite result in the World Test mm. Championship final or the, or the reverse of that yeah, well, it, well, if New Zealand get a run on, you know, if New yeah. Zealand, uh, say an understrength England side gets beaten twice by New Zealand in the test matches ahead of playing the same team in the WTC <laughs> final, that would be a very interesting outcome. But England, depending how the Ashes schedule works out, England will play either 15 or 16 test matches in 2021. And that's in a year where they're playing a million T20s, getting ready for a World Cup and all the rest of it. That is a crazy workload compared to, say, a team like Australia who will play, what, four test matches in 2021? Five? Yep. It's a vast amount of cricket and you cannot expect the same 11 
to play 16 test matches in a year. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and it's commendable that they were willing to play these Sri Lanka test matches that happened in, in January as a result of that. Because remember, that that's last year's tour mm. being repurposed this year to make sure they got them in underneath the WTC finish line. So credit where it's due. But yes, it does mean it's a very unusual year. In terms of the test match coming up in a couple of days, Zach Crawley is also available back from that freak incident where he fell on that marble floor before... Murder on the dance floor. Yeah, so he's back. So presumably Lawrence or Burns miss maybe both if they want to find a configuration with Bearstar. I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that, but I reckon the biggest omission of the tour, though, Jeff, is that Mark Butcher's gone home. (laughs) He's done. He he's that again. He's scheduled leave, I suppose. I mean, Uh there's no suggestion that he's going home (laughs) because he's chosen to go home, or because he's because he happened to pick out the bit on the DRS (laughs) where where the ball hit Rahane's glove on the way out, not on the way in. No, but he he was really. uh, I mean, and not that he wasn't known as a fantastic commentator before, but his stocks have been on the rise big time and. Did a fine job uh, both in Sri Lanka and in India in, shall we say, challenging circumstances mm. in that commentary box where they literally are hired by the BCCI. So well played, Mark Butcher over yeah, there. Not sure who's replacing him. They've got to watch their step very much in that com box. We shall cross the Tasman to New Zealand. We're recording this before the first Australia-New Zealand T20 game, even though it will come out afterwards. So forgive us for not knowing what is going to happen. We don't know. (laughs) It's quite an interesting one over there, given I was writing the preview for this the other day, and there's sort of the depiction of it being the BBL All-Stars squad and and all the senior players were in the test squad. But it's not really... I mean, there are a lot of very experienced senior players still in that T20 side. Mm. Finch, Wade, Maxwell, Stoinis, Kane Richardson, Damper, you know, some proper cricketers as well as... Uh, some proper established cricketers as well as the younger talent coming through like Philippi and uh, and Riley Meredith and so on that people are getting excited about. It's the fun, sir, isn't it? I mm. mean, we were joking about it the other week, I think, when we recorded it <laughs> at the Albert Ground, but um, this is the... If you if you get to pick your tour to go on, this would mm. be the one that they're going to enjoy themselves there. Yeah, it's you, double... you can imagine them jumping on the team bus for this tour and popping on, you know, the Wenger bus is coming, like, just, just <laughs> really getting into... If you're on the bus with Justin Langer, he's putting on the best of John Williamson. <laughs> um, but, if, but if you're on the bus for the T20 series... Yeah, well, I wish we we're on that tour, to be honest, Jeff. If this were a non-COVID tour and we could go mm. out and cover this, it would have been one of the tours where we definitely yeah. would have spent time with the players if, as opposed if, to if, a test tour where that very rarely happens. If we were allowed into New Zealand, um, imagine saying that, you know, a year or two ago, where it's like, we're currently banned from travelling to New Zealand. And uh, we would assume that it was a personal failing of ours yes. rather than something that was national policy. The, the scheduling looks a bit weird on paper because there's a three-day gap to the second game then a six-day gap to the third game and you think T20s they should play them back to back that's partly informed by the fact that England's women are playing New Zealand's women as double headers but they're fitting one more game in between mm-hmm. the second and the third I think I'm right in saying which means there's a slightly okay. longer gap for the Aussie men but yeah it's all over in the space of a couple of weeks should be great fun looking forward to watching it on the telly and you know doing as we do mm. and we'll cover it of course uh, on the final word in the weekly show as we will the uh, England New Zealand uh, or New Zealand England I should say at uh, T20 series the first time that England's women have played away from home since COVID and we've seen this week that India have had uh, a women's bilateral series scheduled 
scheduled in India, which is fantastic news. Their first games full stop since the World Cup final last year. They're going to play South Africa in, I think, like seven white ball games. Most of them are T20s, a couple of one-day internationals as well. So, so that's going ahead, even though there was that hullabaloo with the ground being unable to host. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they got through that, but judging by the the, the reporting out of Women's Creek Zone a couple mm. of days ago where they had the good oil on this, um, all steam ahead. So uh, that's, that's really good news because it's been a major glaring um, omission from the global stage since COVID is that India's women have been seen nowhere. Well, I mean, it has been for across all of the cricketing nations. I'm just running through in my mind who has played since England played the West Indies in September and then Australia played New Zealand at the end of September. Has there been any? <laughs> there was the Pakistan-South Africa Yeah, Pakistan-South Africa. That's the only one I can think you know, of. There yeah. might have been some outside of the, the ICC group of eight, which constitute yeah. the, the 50-over tournaments that, that gets played in, inside the World Cup cycle. But So, that, in other words, there might have been some bilateral T20 series mm. played, but if there were, they've not been on my radar. Did I ever tell you that I saw the Venga boys play live in, in You did concert? not. How did this not come up? Remember, uh, they, they engaged <laughs> with us on Twitter a few years ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, they played the Corner Hotel maybe oh, five or six years no, ago. I remember, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I remember this tour. I, w- I was yeah. hoping to go, but I wasn't in Australia at the time, but of course you went. Well, look, yeah, of course I did for the first show. Then they added a second and a third show because the first two sold out <laughs> in, in quick time. But their entire set, now, I, and I think it was two of the originals plus a couple of new, like much younger male backup dancers. I'm right. pretty sure this is how it worked. Uh, the whole set was done in 45 minutes. That's how much material the Venga boys had. And then they went off stage and when they came back for their encore, they were like, we've already played all our songs, but we'll, we can play... We'll play an encore if we like to party. Yeah. The Venga bus is coming and boom, 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 boom. Well, they gave the crowd the option. They were like, which of these songs do you want us to play again? And obviously the vote went to boom, 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 boom. Oh, what a song. Um, what a film clip. Yeah, and so they played it for a second time within an hour. I've seen the Venga boys play boom, 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 twice in an hour. That's that's an important part of my that's life. That's quite the claim to fame. Right, so Jeff, we're moving from one side of the Tasman to mm. the other um, to the SCG specifically uh, to talk about the Sheffield Shield games that were played uh, between Victoria and New South Wales and at Bell Reef between Queensland and Tasmania late last week and over the weekend. Before getting there, though, we should note that there's been continued fallout over Australia's refusal to go to South Africa for test matches this month. The CSA board have formally now gone to the ICC and asserted that CA breached their contractual obligations, both in terms of the Mm -hmm. World Test Championship and the Future Tours program. Now, according to reports in the Herald last week from Andrew Wu, boards can be subject to fines of at least two million US dollars, so two and a half mil in Australian money for failing to honour their FTP commitments. I mean, there's a variety of clauses that sit underneath that, but I mean, yeah, there's some significant dollars at stake here. Earl Eddings, is, uh, an email from him was, was briefed out or leaked out to South African media suggesting that CA were willing to pay out-of-pocket expenses for pulling the pin on the tour. But that, again, as Willie puts in his story, is only a fraction of what CSA lose due to TV money. So it feels as though that, understandably, CSA are going to try and do everything in their power to recoup some of the money that they've lost as a consequence of this tour not going ahead. Yeah, the way that 
this works in terms of clauses for getting out of tours, basically the setup is that um, any of the big three countries can get out of it if they want to. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there is a clause that, that says uh, if you are allocated this much revenue or more by the ICC, you can do what the fuck you want. There are that many ways to invoke something that's vague enough, and so that will that will cover CA's ass from a, a legal point of view. So this is more cricket South Africa, kind of making a show of, of resistance to make sure they get something, you know, yeah, the offer is to pay for the upfront costs that Cricket South Africa had already incurred by yeah. setting up the biosecure zones and contracting people and buying the tracing program and all that sort of stuff. So CA is willing to pay for that, but that's probably not going to be that much money overall. So yeah, I, I guess it's more about trying to land a, a tour in the future that might more than make up for it, you know, something a bit juicier than like an extended tour next time. Yeah, that's Australia the way to solve to it, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know where they fit this in because, as we know, 2022 is kind of like England's 2021 for Australia. Yeah, By that, that I mean they're playing a, It's the Asian series. century for Australia. Yeah, in the space of a year, they're playing four series in Asia. I mean, I'm sure they won't all go ahead because, you know, the usual reasons with, yeah, yeah. with Australia. I'm sure Australia, one of them will go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the one in India will go ahead, but the others, time will tell. But the point here is, is that next year isn't the year to try and get mm. to South Africa. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking of, on my feet here, is there a way they could get there before the ashes I mean by that I mean is there a way they could squeeze it in you know is the climate suitable to play test cricket in South Africa before the world T20 where there'll be in India for I mean, some it, version it, of that it probably is because they've played they've played test cricket in South Africa as early as August if I recall I remember New Zealand going over there for a series in okay. August I think and it, it's it's cold but it's what's well, true it can I mean be I was, relatively dry yeah that, that's a good point when we were in well, Harare in Harare that was the July series it was freezing hmm. cold but I suppose that would be the one window that CSA mm. could point to and say, well, look, you, you, they have got a bilateral commitment, a one-day commitment as part of the World Cup Super League. To uh, go to the West Indies. In the Caribbean, I yeah. think, around that time as well. So they could take, they could do the old, well, we'll split the squads again, mm-hmm. send one team to the Windies and one team to CSA. I don't think any of these things will happen, Jeff. Mm. I'm just saying that there's no real window in 2022, so it's this year or, or they're going to have to wait a couple of years. Yep, that's pretty much, well, yeah, at least a couple, it might be a... Well, 2023 job, but then that's going to be what an uh, an Ashes World year Cup. and a World Cup, that's a 50 happening. over World Cup. <laughs> so, okay, good luck, good luck, cricket South Africa, um, go well. And, that's the, the, and, and by the way, that, this is this is the entire problem when yeah. the series are postponed, right? This is the you can't postpone them. It's bullshit. postponing. They're not postponed. Well, there's no other. It's you can, there's no other. Very rarely can yeah. you find another place to put a tour. As as I've as I've said before, if I say, oh, sorry, Adam, I can't make it to record the podcast today, can we postpone it until 2023? <laughs> that is not a postponement. That is a cancellation. And then a subsequent many yeah, years yeah. later um, re, redoing of it. Uh, let's look at the, the chef. Yeah, Sheffield because well, that's the good, I mean, the good thing. The cold comfort, if you like, for, from an Australian perspective is mm. that these um, first choice test players are in the shield and that's cool yep. that is uh, that is by definition a great thing because often at this stage of a shield season mm. you know I'm not They're saying playing that, a white ball series yeah, in New well, Zealand well yeah I'm not saying that interest is lost but yeah. Usually you're, you're seeing depleted teams, whereas yep. before the Test Series, you're usually getting the big guns. You're not usually getting yep. them at this time of year. So that, by definition, is, is a good thing for the depth of Australian cricket. And the Victoria-New South Wales game, or the New South Wales-Victoria game, I should say, mm-hmm. at the SCG, uh, was all over in three days. It was a close scrap where ball dominated bat for the most part. The news off the top, though, Jeff, was that Wilbukowski wasn't available for selection. He's opted to take the shoulder Rico now yeah. and Never miss the next four time. to five months. I mean, I thought that's very clever. I mean, yeah, sure, he's going to miss six 
six Sheffield Shield games, maybe a Sheffield Shield final, and that's not ideal. His most recent match was a Test match, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, it, it, yeah. It's, he knows he's incumbent. Basically, he's he's he rated. He's the future. So unless he's he, not going to forget how to bat because he misses some Shield games, yeah. and now that they're not going to South Africa, he's going to take. Well, he has taken advantage of that window. Right. I believe the ops happen. So unless, it's four to five months of rehab, and he'll be good to go for the majority of the preseason and the build up to next year, and so it goes. Yeah, like unless his his run of bad luck means that he slips off the operating table and fucking bangs his head again. Like, just, just look out for your head, please, Will. Don't, don't, don't tempt fate, Jeff. No, but as long as that happens, you know, he should be okay to come back in for the start of the next Shield season and gear up into the ashes from there. So skipping into the game proper, New South Wales were sent in and all that for 165 on the first day. I was there for a slab of it, actually. Rach oh, yeah. and I went to the SCG in order to try and get Winnie to meet Buddy Franklin when the Swans were training next door. <laughs> uh, Michelle Cooley, our old friend from Cricket Taz, is now working for the Swans and the plan was that I've got a photo with Winnie with Dermy from a couple yeah. of weeks ago. I thought one with Buddy, the other great Hawthorne 23, well, uh-huh. alongside Don Scott, the big three uh, who wore that number. But unfortunately, Buddy had already finished training by the time he rocked up. So we went next door and saw a few of the colleagues and saw a few of the players uh, gathering uh, as they do in front of the dressing rooms at the SCG and it was quite nice. But yeah, we were there long enough to watch that contest between Mitchell Perry and Stephen Smith. Mm-hmm. Perry's a bowler. He's good. I like him. Mm. He's not as quick as uh, the usual types that are coming through the system, but he gets that... Well, he's got that consistency. He lands it in a shoebox. He... I'm reticent to compare him to James Anderson, but he's, he's that kind of bowler. Right arm over, lands it in the same spot, moves it both ways. I mean, that the, kind. The, the kind who plays for 20 years and takes 600 wickets. Yeah, he's that kind of bowler. Yeah, that kind of bowler. He, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's trying to do. He's okay. trying to do what Anderson does. And yeah. he started, yeah, he started off pretty well uh, this summer. And, you know, as you've pointed out before, Jeff, he's certainly got the name mm. uh, to be an Australian international the player. The hybrid of the most men's cricket name and the most women's cricket name (laughs) in Australia. Mitchell Perry, all of the Mitchells, all of the Perry. It could be a remarkable thing if it all comes comes together. So he took three for 25 or 17, but yeah, there was a video compilation made of Perry bowling to Smith, which was the highlight of the innings. Just seeing Mm. Smith... We'll talk about Smith a bit. In fact, we'll do it now. So Smith gets out in the second dig. You know, we'll come to how later. But he's not out. It's off the pocket. And he completely cracks the shits. You know, staring at the umpire, gesticulating, and really, really carrying on. Which, you know, it's bordering on conduct unbecoming from a test player mm. playing shield cricket. I mean, just get off the ground. You know, it happens, right? Like, well, also, how many have... times have you got out in cricket? How much cricket have you played? Yeah. You've got out before, haven't you? It happens, you? right? Like, I get the emotions are running high and it's a tense part of the game and New South Wales were collapsing emotions at running the time. high in a, in a shield I think they game? are. No, I would say this much. I think they are. I, I, don't, I don't think they go back to shield level and, and reduce their intensity. What I mean is, is that, I mean, in the grand sweep of Smith's career, getting a bad decision, you know, I get why he'd be shitty, but that felt a bit much, as did the way he was playing Perry in the first innings. Remember when we spoke to Smith after the 100 at Brisbane in yeah. 2017, where he'd done a lot of the lightsaber stuff and it mm-hmm. drew everyone's attention because we're like, whoa, we haven't kind of seen this before. We actually had. We'd seen it in Pune earlier that year. And it's no coincidence that they were considered to that point his two best test innings. I mean, the, the powers of concentration required at Pune are not too dissimilar to what we saw at Chennai last week on an impossible track and he somehow makes a, you know, a sort of a series-defining century for mm. him anyway. And then at Brisbane, where a different kind of innings, but the, the resistance he showed against the relentless short pitch attack from around the wicket hour after hour after hour. And we saw that lightsaber. But he said at the time that he only, he reserved the right to do that kind of thing when he needed to go to the next gear and really sort of shift his concentration. How I'm saying it is, why is it now that he does it in every innings that he plays? How come it's getting more ostentatious? It's getting more, what's eccentric? It's getting more over the top? I mean, does that mean he's now got 
greater reserves of concentration that he had before and can do it in every innings? Or well, does that mean he's... Is he using up all his juice? Well, that's he, kind of what I'm because leaning Because he, has, he hasn't been, you know, a totally convincing player by his standards for the last, you know, 18 months or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, like it's not as though at Edgbaston in 2019 he was doing this from the outset. He, he started doing it later. I suppose I'm sensing a pattern. It's that mm. when Smith needs to shift gears, that for whatever reason, seems to work for him. But now, and it's not just the leaves either, by the way, it's the way he was walking at Perry with his fist, no, run, no, run, every time he defends. And I get all the quirks, and I'm not trying to bag him as such. I'm, I suppose it's just like, as an observation, this is different to Steve Smith before the suspension. Before yeah. the suspension, this was a couple of times. Now, post-2019 Ashes or post-last summer or whatever it is, it's an all-the-time thing. And, it, yeah, it, it does jar a bit when it's combined with him getting so agitated when he's dismissed. I've often wondered if the that the outer turmoil reflects an inner calm in some way, but you know, maybe that's not the case. The the kind of exploding going off the field sort of indicates that that's not the case. Yeah. That, that maybe maybe he's a frustrated player because it hasn't been coming as easily for him or, or as consistently for him. Yeah. You know, he he had that great few days at the SCG where he made those two one day hundreds and then there was nothing much until he got back to the SCG and, and made that test ton there. He hasn't been reeling off centuries in, in the way that he has mm-hmm. done previously. And even in state cricket, he's struggled to make big scores. So, look, maybe it's maybe that's part of it, the frustration of a player who, at the peak of his powers, can dominate anybody, but it hasn't been working out for him the same way that he's used to. Yeah, and remember, this is statistically the most prolific batsman since Don Bradman. Like, you know, let's, let's not sort of veer away from the fact that he's an absolute all-time great. It's more an observation than a criticism, I would say. So New South Wales all out 165. Victoria only made 200, but at one stage they were like 150 for two or something. And Maddo went after them. Some massive bombs that he struck out of his 77 from 80 balls. But then Nathan Lyon went bananas. Six for 21 from 16 overs with eight maidens. He was kind of back to his best after, obviously, he really did diminish as a contributor um, towards the end of that India series, but right on it against Victoria. I was just thinking about that watching Ashwin in this series. Imagine if you'd said, you know, three months ago when Ashwin was on, what, 360-something wickets and Lyon was 390, that Ashwin was going to get to 400 And he's going to, isn't he? What's Ashwin? 390 five or six now or something like that. He'll probably get to 400 in this third test match. Uh, so Victoria have that first innings lead. Uh, New South Wales only make 175 the second time around. At one point, they're eight for 91. And then they're nine for 119. Enter Sean Abbott. 75 from 75 balls, including five sixes. He put on 56 with Josh Hazelwood for the last wicket, where Hazelwood only faced five balls and didn't get off the mark. So Abbott this year's done this a couple of times, Jeff. I'm not saying that he's sort of a, a classical all-rounder or anything mm. like that, but it does mean that when he's going on these tours, he does provide a little bit of a point of difference as a player who is improving with the bat. Yeah, and uh, I suppose if you're a bowler who could credibly bat at seven, then that yeah. that makes you a much more attractive option than a bowler who could credibly bat at eight. You know, it's, it's a big difference, that one spot in the order. We saw that work for India so well with Washington Sundar at, at seven. Absolutely. So, you know, there there is that possibility. And Josh Hazelwood, the, the silent partner specialist, really, yes. is, you know, famous for... Marcus Stoyner's partnership. Yeah, the, yeah. the biggest 10th wicket partnership um, <laughs> without somebody scoring a run. Well, he didn't face a ball in that partnership. That's right. He got he run was, out as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Diamond yeah. Duck. Yeah, Diamond Duck, when he'd been out there for the best part of an hour, um, <laughs> having not faced a delivery. He was at the non-strikers end when, when Kane Williamson got in from short mid-on. So, yeah, Hazelwood, uh, very good at those sort of things. So, Victoria was set 143. They got 
there. Six wickets down. Maddinson again, top scoring with 44. Jake Fraser McGurk, remember the name. 38 not out in that chase. He's what? McGurk! He's like 18 years old. He's already achieved more in his life than you and I have. Nathan Lyon picked up four the second time around for match figures of 10 for 78. So a welcome return to form for NG Lyon. Didn't win. You can imagine Nathan Lyon's coming at the press conference. Ah, uh, no, nah, no. Nah, we can stay, mate, much if you don't win, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably right. That's almost certainly what he would say. He's not going to play uh, in England this year. I had a brief chat to him at the SCG. He's not going to go and play county cricket, which was originally kind of vaguely the plan, but yeah. with COVID and everything else and doesn't want to be away from his family in, in those circumstances. So, yes, this Shield season, well, the end of the Shield season will be the last cricket he plays for a little while. Uh, and then at Bell Reeve, uh, Jeff, uh, Queensland beat Tassie in a fantastic game of cricket, worth going through in some detail. So Tasmania made 332 in the first innings. Caleb Jewell made 140 of them. The next highest score was 27. So a fantastic solo effort from the 23-year-old left-hander playing just his ninth first-class game. Is um, he is he a link to Nick Jewell or, I wondered or the, that. the cricketing Jewels? I, I, I wondered whether he, he might be the Jewell famous, Richmond yeah. Jewell family okay. as well, of course. But I don't know. It didn't come up on his Crick Info page. Mm. So let's assume not. He's from Tasmania, yep. as in he grew up in Tassie and played yeah. in their junior teams in the Aussie 19s. Is, is he any link to Jewell Railway Station in Brunswick on, maybe on the Jewel, outfield line? Yeah, maybe Jewell <laughs> Foolish Games could be one of the, yeah. the, the, the headlines. That Very easy to plan the piano. Foolish games. If he <laughs> if he ever makes it into Australian colours, he'd be a jewel international. Oh, very, very good. Thank you, Jeff, for that. So He's battled so far. He's one of those guys they've been investing mm. time into. And even after this big century, his first-class average is still 21. So it gives you a bit of a feel for how badly it started off for him. But that hopefully will be a breakthrough. Uh, Brendan Doggett picked up four for Queensland with the ball. Queensland then make 275. And I mentioned that Jules won 40. Next high score was 27. Well, Burns went one better. He made 171 out of Queensland's 275. Marnus uh, was the next highest scorer on 49. That's in excess of 60% of mm. the runs that Queensland made. And Sir Swamp Thing on Twitter wrote about this or posted about this, and it was brought to our attention by Docker95 that in Sheffield Shield innings all time, there have been 26 players who have made in excess of 60 percent of the runs in a completed inning. So when we're looking at Bannum and Facts, which we'll come mm-hmm. to in a little bit at the end of the show today, Joe Burns has now done it twice. He's the only player to, on two occasions in the Sheffield Shield, go higher than 60% in a completed mm. inning. So, and also for him, a return to form too. We shouldn't brush over the fact that the last time he faced a red ball was in a test match and it didn't go so well. So. No, and, and, and that great frustration, you know, it's like turning the corner towards the bus stop and seeing the bus just pulling away, you know, just Joe Burns churning out these runs recently yeah. Yeah. when it's just that little bit too late. You think, what could have been? What could have been indeed. Tasmania's second inning, so they had that first innings lead. They make 252 and build upon it quite nicely. Uh, Jordan Silk, half-century, Jake Doran likewise. As a specialist bat, of course, because Doran can't keep because Tim Payne's got the gloves and leading the team at the moment. Bartlett took four for Steckity likewise, who's leading the attack at the moment. Queensland was set 310, and they got their seven wickets down, so a mighty chase, led by the captain, Usman Kawaja, an unbeaten 115 from 206 deliveries. The Queensland captain's 30th first-class 100. And per Dan Bredig's tweet about this innings, mm. is he really Australia's 38th best? Best player, and when you consider <laughs> when you consider where Usman is and all the rest, is he really that far away from yeah. another call up? He shouldn't be. I mean, it, it's hard to conceive of how he's been out of all of these squads since COVID, where they've been extended with bubbles and so on. Mm. I mean, I, I don't quite get how a player of Usman Khawaja's class. Granted, you can debate 
his omission in 2019 for as long as you want, but I don't really buy the argument that he's not in the top, yeah, say, 38 players, for example. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I also find it hard to see where he gets into any of those teams because if you look at... But at least in the squad, you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. he should have got... He, he shouldn't be this far back in the pack, I suppose. Mm. But if your squad is... Do you want in your squad... Say you're not going to play. I mean, you look at that T20 team in New Zealand in, in terms of older senior players getting into their 30s, the ones we mentioned before, yep. Finch, Wade, Maxwell, Stoinis. You've got Warner and Smith likely to come back into that team in, That's the same, true. in the same sort of bracket. Do you want your extra players in the squad to be someone who really wants to be in the 11 and is pretty jaded that they're not and is frustrated at touring? Or do you want it to be, at, you know, cruel intentions, uh, Ryan Phillippe having a ball because he's in an Australian squad and he's pumped about it. Like, yeah, yeah. How do you want that? Like, what's the most, I suppose what's I'm the more most thinking, value for selection? Yeah, I, I'm probably more along the lines of should he have been in the test squad for South Africa? Yeah. Like, when you consider they dropped Wade and, I mean, the way they rejigged it. I know Travis mm. Head, but Alex Carey. Anyway. But, but where's he going to bat when you've got you, – you won two and three a set. So – you know, yeah, that's, I mean, I, that's where Osman would have been in somewhere in that top three. So you're probably right, and Justin Lang has explained it in the past that they don't really need to know, they don't really need to see Usman Khawaja yeah. back to know what he can do. Right. So anyway, he laid the foundation for that big chase along with Marnus Labuschagne, who made 78. They put on 137 for the third wicket. They still needed a bit of support. Usman got it via Matt Renshaw with 20 odd and Jack Wildermuth with 30 odd. So they gave him that sort of middle lower order ballast to get over the line. A fine win, really, to move them to the top of the table with four games to play so uh, the next round uh, is starting on the 25th of February so a few days from now Thursday to Sunday when Victoria play New South Wales again but this time at the Melbourne Cricket Ground and at WA take on SA at the Wacker so the teams have played I mean the table doesn't mean an awful lot right now because some teams have played as many as I think Tassie have played uh, six games or something like that. Victoria have mm-hmm. played three, but it'll all even out over the next month. So there's so much Shield cricket to come and we'll talk about it every week on The Final Word. Indeed. And now, let us play a little game. Let us have a little moment of fun. <laughs> Let's have a little round of... I can't do this loudly because there is a sleeping baby. <laughs> Nerd pledge. <laughs> we can talk it. We can, we can do proper broadcast voices, but fundamentally in inside voices. Today. Yeah, yeah, no shouting. No. no. Can, can we do this quietly? Nerd <laughs> pledge. It might soothe her, given how often she's heard that uh, yeah. in the last, uh, in the last. Oh gosh, well, her whole life in utero, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a game that we play. If you're not familiar with it, uh, there are people on our patron page who fund the show if they keep it going and and they do that by sending us a few bucks or a few pounds but they don't make it a normal number they adjust it they make it a cricketing number and we have to guess what their number is so the first of these is seven dollars 67 coming from trev from perth uh, last name from perth which i suppose works you know if you've got all these french names like you know de Lyon or like ab de villiers or whatever you're always of somewhere so this is just making it happen in english trev from perth trev from perth last name from perth first name trev a bit obscure he says but it is a bowling reference so seven six seven, not an aeroplane. What did you make of that? Adam? Well, it, it won't be this, but that's Joff's best figures in first class cricket. So that's before I got in the Test team. Archer seven for sixty seven for Sussex against mm-hmm. Kent. So I looked at that initially, but then I remembered that Trev is indeed from Perth. So a little bit like Lauren from Glee. Remember that uh, fantastic muscle song? 
No, uh, I, I, I do not. Talk about one of the great... I've been listening to Australian albums the last few days uh-huh. in keeping with my yes, vague melancholy about leaving the country again. And Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's probably for another podcast. Maybe Trev is just really pumped about Joffre coming to Perth to bowl in, say, under a year's time. Yeah. And the other alternative is that a lot of people in Perth are English because they move there. Yeah. Um, so maybe Trev is, is from Perth it, now it but be. was not from Perth before. The only time it's been taken in international cricket was by an Australian name. That's Jeff Dimmick back in 1979-80. But he's from Queensland, not WA. But I like I like this because of the obscure part. So Dimmick did play test cricket as early as 1974, but he was really important in leading those Australian attacks during World Series cricket days. He wasn't a WSC player. He was in the in the official test team and leading the attack for much of that, as he did in Kanpur against India uh, in 1979, which was the final series before reunification, before the peace settlement, which... Dan Bredig, of course, wrote about, we've mentioned him a couple of times today, but his fantastic book uh, two years ago about Bradman and Packer. Anyway, I digress. So in the first innings, Dimmick takes five for 59, a pretty handy return. But nevertheless, Australia are are playing with the casino's money in the second innings. They're already behind Mm -hmm. in the test match. And in the second dig, he goes on to take seven for 67. So that's 12 wickets overall for the match. And Australia still lose by 125 runs. Only four men in test cricket have taken more than 12 wickets in a losing effort. Four have taken 13. So he's one off that record. But yeah, Australia ended up losing the series. 2-0, it's the first time they ever lost to India. And as I say, it wasn't long before reunification. But Dimmick, uh, that was his finest performance in Test cricket. The only seven for 67. And yeah, only four bowlers have have done better in losing teams in Test history. Before Jeff Dimmick retired and opened a chain of bookshops. Uh, That's our (laughs) first bid, Trev. How good would that be, by the way, if Jeff Dimmick was the man (laughs) looking after the Dimmick's bookshops? What what if Jeff Dimmick started Dimmies? Dimmies and Forges? Better still. Better still. He he hired. Robert Dippy and Domenico to do the Timmy's ads. Kept, kept, kept Dipper in, in chicken nuggets for about 20 years, they did Timmy. So I don't think Dipper had a lot of other um, gigs going on at the time. But. Oh, well, he's bounty riding on Channel 7. He was, a, he was a master of the craft. I reckon he just showed G'day, up. Is Dipper here? I reckon What's they, that I reckon Banner Dipper, out of bounds? I reckon <laughs> Dipper just showed up and they let him boundary ride. I don't think it was a formal employment situation. <laughs> oh. they, they were like, oh, go on, <laughs> give him a microphone. Please be nice about Dip. Let's move on. 316 is our next Nerf Boys. I should say again, thank you ever so much to Trevor. From Perth with 767. Seven. Brad yeah. Todd, Jeff sent through 316. Well, 316, the first thing that 316 brings to mind for me is Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin 316. You were more of a probably a, a wrestling enthusiast than me, but do you remember the derivation of the, of the 316 for Steve Austin? Uh, There's a bout in the mid-90s where he's he's fighting a, a guy who... Now, what do you... You've got the face turn and the heel turn in wrestling, you know, the, 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 the face, the baby face being the, the good the good character gone mm, bad mm. And, and the heel turn being the bad gone good. And there was a wrestler who was like, whose whole persona was like, I'm a, I'm a raging alcoholic. I'm like drinking in the ring and I'm, I'm all <laughs> trashed up or whatever. And then he became a born again Christian or the character, at least I'm not sure if the actual wrestler did and found God and started preaching in the ring and bringing righteousness to wash away the sins of the ring. Okay. And in the build up to this bout, he was constantly quoting from the Bible from John three sixteen. Oh, that um, makes sense that, now. That this is going to happen. And so, so when okay. Stone Cold Steve Austin 
beat him, trounced him thoroughly in in this match, he did an impromptu speech on the mic at the end and said, I'm going to read to you from Austin 316, you just got your ass stomped or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's where, and that became the biggest piece of wrestling merch ever was Austin 316. Shirts, stickers, banners, badges, whatever. And it has sold to this day from some shit that, that Stone Cold just made up on the spot. Usually we keep our stories for the weekend show on Storytime, but that's a belter. Thank you. The, the reason I said, oh, that makes sense now is that in the 96 Olympics, mm. which is probably around that bout, lots of fans in the crowd were holding up John 316 signs, which probably related to the wrestling that was mm. going on at the time. I might explore that further in a future series of the greatest season that was. Wink, wink, okay. nudge, nudge. Right, so Brad Todd, four times in first-class cricket, a player has made 316 runs. And Jeff, I wow. thought you'd uh, be pleased to hear that one of those instances relates directly to uh, what we talked about on Storytime a couple of weeks ago. Remember we were discussing Percy Holmes, who mm-hmm. made 315 in 1925, breaking a 105-year record. The nerd pledge number was 105, and we went to that highest yep. score at Lords, which stuck for one, 105 years. And so for 105 years at Lords from like 1820, whatever, whatever 1819 or something, how much first-class cricket were they playing in 18, 19, well, I think, I think quite a bit yeah, in the okay. intervening years. But the, uh, yeah, so Percy Holmes gets his 315. But the next year, Jack Hobbs ruins it and gets 316. Right. Uh, he makes that for Surrey against Middlesex in just 415 minutes. And I should say that I think I said in haste on Storytime that it remains the record at Lords to this day. It remains the joint county record or something like that. Yep. It's obviously not the highest first-class score there, though, because Graham Gooch made an unbeaten 3-3-3 at, at Lords in 1990 against India in a test match. But still, 3-16, Stone Cold Steve Austin, 3-16, Jack Hobbs, together uh, at last. Straight into the Gooch. And another little note I found on 3-1-6 as a sequence, it was because uh, on the Storytime show a few weeks before that, we mentioned Wilfred Rhodes, the, the early 1900s all-rounder, and how he finished just short of 40,000 first-class runs. Perilous. <laughs> Perilously close. Perilously close was, was a shot to get there in his final first-class innings. Uh, but another player who finished just short on 39,832 first-class runs was uh, the very excitingly named Mike Smith, who was more generally known as MJK, who captained England uh, in 25 tests in the 1960s. So made nearly 40,000 first-class runs, not quite so hot in test matches, where he played 50 tests and made three tonnes. A bit of a case of the Shane Watsons, made a lot of 90-somethings, mm, mm. but average 31.6 so 3-1-6 and another little one for you your favourite Imran Khan not the main Imran Khan but the second Imran blonde Khan um, 2014 <laughs> blonde tips Imran Khan in 10 test matches average 31.6 oh, with the ball bless him I love you Imran Khan and I love that that we're able to get uh, MJK uh, into uh, Nerd Pledge or briefly Imran Khan not the second or the 36th or whatever he is yeah what did we yeah. work out once I think there were 36 maybe 36 first class players who've been Imran Khan bring it on I want more uh, Brad Todd 316 thank you very that's much that's a dream dinner party all of the Imran Khan's <laughs> uh, if, if anyone can probably make it happen we can probably engineer at least a few of them to have dinner I don't with think us we'll get the stage. PM but I a think few we'll... of them a few Imran Khan's when we're in Pakistan in okay. 2022 and you can be sure of that if we're allowed to travel and Australia play their test in Pakistan we're going to be there there's yep. no doubt about that Rach is behind my left shoulder and probably about to smack me across the head for saying that but if it happens, we're going. Last nerd pledge number for today before we take a break and get to Brat Sunderation was 141 from Tim Jones, who sent his pledge through in pounds, which you're able to do now. There's more currencies mm-hmm. on the Patreon platform than ever before. And there was a hint as well, Jeff, for you, and that was one word, cheese. The hint was cheese. 
141. Well, here's where I'm going. It's not British. It is Australian. But, you know, Tim Jones, the thing you can do if you, if you send through a nerd pledge and we don't get it right is you drop us a, a message in the DMs. And then we do Storytime, which is the show on the weekend, which is an entire show dedicated to this sort of thing, but in even more detail and much more depth. The full biography of Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> will be on the Storytime this weekend. So, Tim Jones, one pound 41 okay 141 cheese now many people may have vaguely heard of Hugh Trumbull but they might not know a whole lot about Hugh Trumbull who was an off spinner who played for Australia between 1880 and 1904 so a bit a bit out of our ken played 32 tests which was a lot when you had to get on a ship for six months to go and play tests on the other side of the world and ended with 141 test wickets about four and a half per test and from that point on now it was interesting that that many many years later this was a record that Nathan Lyon went past for an Australian off spinner and it seems weird that it took over 100 years, more than 105 years for an off-spinner to do that. But Australia was all about wrist spin after the career of Hugh Trumbull. So pre-war, Ranji Hordern, Jimmy Matthews, Boland leg breaks, Arthur Maley in the 20s, Clary Grimmett into the 30s before he was stabbed in the back by Don Bradman to replace him with Frank Ward, who was also a leg spinner, Bill O'Reilly into the 40s, bit of Chuck Fleetwood Smith in there, Jack mm-hmm. Iverson and Doug Ring, always a great name, Doug Ring, Richie Benno into the 50s, and it's not until the late 60s until Tom Vivers, who I think was mentioned by William McInnes on our interview, sure um, was. managed to get 21 tests, didn't take any wickets, but did play 21 tests. And then Ashley Mallett had a proper career and got 132 wickets as an off-spinner. Bruce Yardley got 126. And through the 80s, it becomes off-spin time. Peter Taylor, Greg Matthews, mm-hmm. Tim May. And then Shane Warne and Stuart McGill make it leg-spin era for about 15 years from the 90s. And then off-spin took over again more recently. Nathan Horitz, Jason Crazier, Michael Beer all get a few tests and Nathan Lyon comes along and has a long career. And he goes past this mark of 141 but that's why it took so long for an off spinner to get past that mark because it it was really a leg spin country for probably 80 years yeah it's funny how we've had that rhythm haven't we so you look at the string of leg break bowlers when when off spinners couldn't quite get there I, i suppose jack iverson would be the one that you could say fits into the finger spitter tradition because of the way that he pushed the ball out. Mm. He wasn't bowling with his wrist as such, but yes, Australia did like their wristies uh, through that stretch of time. He's still defined in the stat space as a leg break. Is he right? I suppose that's because the ball did break to leg more yeah. than it broke broke to off sorry more than it broke to leg have I got yeah. that right yes I do but uh, anyway as you say when Warren comes along remember there was the whole thing about the, until Warren that they thought that the leg spinning tradition in Australia had actually died mm. and yeah it's interesting that post McGill I'm just trying to catalogue it in my head with the exception of Stephen Smith who did play as a specialist leg spinner initially did you know mm. uh, has there been another leg spinner that's played for Australia as a as a frontliner I mean I was I trying to Cameron think Cameron White for those couple of yeah, tests yeah Cameron in White Bo Casson but I mean you're really scratching around for yeah, anyone McGain that's been given Bryce McGain for one so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens post line because mm. we assume it's going to be Mitch Swepson right yeah but what if Mitch Swepson goes around a little bit early on in his career and can't keep the run rate down the way that line has so successfully there might be that temptation to stick with fingers been in that more conservative English tradition which has served them so well. And part of the reason Lions had such a long career is that there hasn't been a compelling leg spin alternative. There, yeah, has, there yeah. hasn't been a leg spinner in in first class cricket taking lots of wickets. You know, Swepson's been a work in progress for a long time without being hugely convincing until maybe the you know a few months ago. And, and Lloyd Pope is exciting but gone for absolute millions of runs a lot of the time. Can I give you the cheese connection? Well, I was about to do that. This, this is what I was leading up. Okay, I've, I've got, you go first, I'll go second. Okay. Okay, we'll see see if we're on the same page. So the cheese connection is that 
when Nathan Lyon goes past 141 wickets, he becomes the goat. He starts. Steal my thunder. He becomes nicknamed by his teammates the greatest of all time, the greatest Australian off spinner of all time. But the greatest of all time, of course, has an acronym, which is G O A T Goat Cheese. Exactly where I was going to land as well. Uh Oh, well, we got there. We're like mind, hive mind (laughs) on their pledge. It's fun. That you should play. You should play it with us. Patreon.com forward slash the final words. Submit your pledge. Dollars and cents, pounds and pence, euros and euro cents, Australian dollars, US dollars, Canadian dollars, whatever it is you want, it's there for you on the Patreon platform now, I'm pretty sure. They're, as I say, they're, they're expanding currencies by the day. So hop on and continue the conversation with us there. Uh, part of the joy of um, that platform is that we can have these extensive DM conversations about anything really, uh, ranging from different sports, tactics, stuff that we probably wouldn't say publicly but we're happy to say privately in the privacy of our dms <laughs> so hit us up there and be part of our game on the weekends the weekend show is so much fun it'll be out again on probably saturday if we get our act together after i go back to england yeah i dare say that is right uh let's breathe in let's breathe out let's hear about something that happens once a month and then let's hear from barat sundaris i'm glenn maxwell make sure you listen to my favorite podcast the final word it's that time again, Jeff. We're nearing the end of one month, which will mean the new month is heralded mm. and sung in, if you mm-hmm. like, with a new edition of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. It'll be on shelves in February. Mm-hmm. It'll have March on the front cover. Mm-hmm. It'll be one of the 12 editions you get 12. through the year. 12. One per month. One per month, corresponding with the months. But out in the previous but month. In the previous month. But that still means only one per month because the one before that was out in the previous month before Here's that. the tricky bit. Here's the tricky bit. When you okay. get to the end of the year yeah. and you're receiving the December issue in November, yeah. that is your last magazine for the year. So you might feel shortchanged. But then in December, you'll get the first one for the next. So it's not your last magazine for the year because you get the January one in December. Oh. So you get another one. You get a whole bonus. like Utterly mind-blowing. Oh, ahead of their time. Do you know what I, I can say with authority? Yeah. This is the best cricket magazine in the world, and yeah. not just because I'm a columnist there, mm-hmm. not just because you write for it as well, because of the beautiful baubles you get each month. When you open this mag, or as we're going to instruct you to do, or hopefully encourage you to do, get it on the digital edition, which I read it on these days on my iPad, and it's absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. and very straightforward to do, uh, you get some of the best cricket writing in the world from some fantastic people who do this once a month. Absolute chock full this month. Uh, WCM exploring the stories of England's black cricketers from, among others, Chris Lewis, Devon Malcolm, Ebony Rainford, Brent, uh, Alex Tudor. The cover is part of a special edition to mark the 40th anniversary of Roland Butcher becoming England's first black test cricketer. Phil Walker looking at the impact Jofra Archer has had on English cricket and how he's been received. So a fair bit going on there. They interviewed Jack Leach about the start of the England series, which will be interesting depending how that England series goes on in India as they go. Yeah, I gather he's pretty open with Joey as well and quite happy to chat. You know, sometimes when you talk to a player in the middle of a series or on tour, it can be hard graft, but... Jack Mm -hmm. gave plenty to Joe and I'm looking forward to having a read of that. Andy Flower had a chat to John Stern, the editor at large, about the lessons he's learnt across his extraordinary career. As for Ted Dexter, he's written a Golden Summer column talking Mm. about the swinging 60s. I'm not sure what year Ted has uh, gone for, but he's been in the mag a couple of times uh, so far in 2021 and been fantastic value. It's a great name as well, just as far as sort of names that have some swagger about them. Ted Dexter. It's a proper name. Yeah, he's not not, uh, Flight Lieutenant Max... Fightmaster, 
who is a genuine person in the US military, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who, who I think won a, a competition for having the best name. Right. But Ted Dexter. Hello, I'm Ted Dexter. I mean, something about having an, an X in a name is kind of cool. You know, we all know that. But, yeah. But it just sounds satisfying. It's crisp syllables, uh, maybe the, the assonance of having the, the multiple E's, um, three E's in a row, uh, which, you know... I suppose the other great letter to have any names a Q, isn't it? It's an X or a Q. They're the two Maybe, num- but yeah. if you start with a Q, U, I'm not sure, like, you know, if your name's like Quimby or something. Well, I've got, I've got what about at the end of the name? Saj Sadiq uh, Yeah, that's that. pretty badass. Saj is, uh, has uh, had a conversation with Muhammad Asif, uh, a controversial character but a fantastic bowler, about the sorcery of bowling fast and how he wrecked his international career, to be blunt, uh, when he was on the cusp of greatness. So that'll be an interesting read, I'm sure. Yep. The team of columnists have been added again. Isabel Westbury, who has been nominated for the SJA Columnist of the Year. Congratulations, Izzy. She's in there. Andrew Miller, Neil Manthorpe writing about the CSA situation that we were touching on earlier. And I've written about the Justin Langer I was going to say blow up. It wasn't a blow up, was it? It was just sort of that sort of fascinating few days in the tenure of Justin Langer. And I sort of looked at it from the perspective of was he ever really in doubt, not just in, mm. in, in the context of the players, but the broader power structures there at Jollymont? I, I reckon it was, it was a house meeting. Sort of, you know, housemates, house meetings. Someone had a few problems, a few grievances yep. they needed to air and, and, and maybe they've worked that out with a, with a bit of time off. Um, there's also a spot from Daniel Gellin, South African writer, about the end of the Colpack era, which is pretty interesting yeah. in English county cricket. This is going to have ramifications, you know, all of those South African players who quit playing for their country so they could get Colpack deals and now that's unravelled and they're either having to be signed as overseas pros or going back to South Africa to play there and so yeah that's a, an examination and I should say as well that Dan Gallon's been nominated for an award this week so I don't know which one it was but he's it's award season uh, and he's in the running for one of them and last but not least at the back of the magazine Andy Zaltzman the brilliant statistician from Test Match Special and and comedian which is his day job of course ho- hosting news quiz on, on Radio 4 anyway he unpacks the significance of the number 28 in the latest instalment of his mind-boggling series it was very good his first call I'm not sure he had a chance last month Jeff but imagine Zoltz giving Zoltz like a thousand words to write about one number mm-hmm. it's like the natural extension of what we do on Nerd Pledge but you know Zoltz does it better than most it's so. like our entire podcast episode on 213 exactly there's a lot of similarities there mm. so looking at the number 28 this week Jeff to get this magazine I mentioned before that reading it on the iPad is a great thing to do I'm going to do exactly that on the plane home sure the hard copy is a beautiful thing too but the deal we have through bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW WCMTFW that link will be in the show notes six editions of the magazine for 10 quid or 15 Australian dollars. It is an absolute steal. It is worth a lot more than that in terms of the cover price. I think you save 44% or something like that. As I mentioned, the best cricket mag in the world, bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. Get yourself a six-month subscription, courtesy of our friends there at Wisdom. Thanks to their relationship with us at The Final Word. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins and joining us down the line, a man who's winning an award for our best contributor for the show today, uh, who watched the IPL auction in great detail, Bharat Sundaresan. Welcome. Ah, guys, like I I love awards, but... uh... (laughs) 
I would have preferred like my name going under the hammer and you guys kind of like you know raising your paddle <laughs> for me and winning me rather than me winning something. Yeah, we've bought you. Um, you've been bought by the final word for the price of many hugs and smiles. Well, there are a lot of shows going around who would like to get into that auction. Don't forget, like I seem to be That's a true. popular <laughs> guest. Oh, you're a man in demand. <laughs> we, we have to we have to line up to get a spot in your schedule. Well, um, that's true. Since the last time we talked to you, Barat, we might as well start there because you, you've had quite the summer. I mean, I'm finishing going back to back to England today, as we've already talked about at the front half of the show. But uh, since I arrived here and now departing, I mean, you've gone on quite the rise in terms of the broadcasting work you've been doing for SCN with us, and then later with TV, you, you're seeming on the project every other night as well on Channel Ten. I mean, that's been that's been pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I think it's just the right time, right place thing, and like you know, it pays to be the wild man. It pays to be uh, look different, sound different. And yeah, it's just been that kind of a ride ever since I moved to Australia, really. I mean, getting to do the World Cup and the Ashes the same year and then two India tours mm. and that two one India tour with uh, none of those Indian journalists around. <sighs> Thank God for that. But like, yeah, but no, on a serious note as well, it, it just like... I guess Appen also became one of these epic series and uh, yeah, I think it's all good. And you know, even before that, the Sheffield Shield, we spoke about that. I think that's what I spoke about the last time I was on your show. Uh, yeah, it was. Them, yeah. yeah, them having a hub beer and like me being able to commentate on that and somebody listening to me somewhere. But yeah, it, it, yeah it's all good. It's all good. But uh, nothing like being on the final word though. Uh, well, thank you. I, I don't think that's right, but I, I, it's lovely that you would say it. Uh, Brad, before we get right into what actually happened at the auction, I thought it might be worthwhile explaining it because we see the big numbers, we see the, the price tags and we see the players and all the rest of it, but it's quite a complicated process. It's essentially a TV show, but it might just be worth recapping. How does it start and how does it progress through the course of the night? A lot of people ask me, like, so who decides how much the player is worth, like about his brace price it really comes down to the player and like you know initially it starts with thousands of players putting sending their names through and then they get shortlisted based on who the franchisees want and who they think they might need and that's where the number comes down to around 250 and then again not all those names go under the hammer either it's maybe you'd you'd have seen maybe 150 of those because the number keeps getting crunched <laughs> otherwise we would we would have like three four days the IPL auction would feel like an Indian wedding and uh, I've been <laughs> part of one and I've attended many now yeah, they go on forever so uh, that's what it would be like and especially these mini auctions are they always remind me of uh, this very famous movie in uh, a Bollywood movie which was based on the Brewster's Millions it was called Malamal uh, in 1988 and Sunil Gavaskar also made a guest appearance in it so basically you know the story right basically this guy who wins a uh, random guy who wins uh, a billion uh, dollars or whatever billion rupees Indian rupees but uh, his grandfather has left that message in his will that he has to spend 300 million of those within like 24 hours to be worthy of getting that price and so Sunil Gavaskar basically comes in as a celebrity for this random cricket match that this guy organizes and that's how these mini auctions are because you have these franchises sitting with a lot of money for a very few slots and a few 
a number of players who go under the hammer unlike uh, the mega auction which is which goes over two days and uh, where teams are really big, like trying to form the core for their team uh, for mm. the not just for that one season but for the following two or three seasons because unlike any other league in the world the IPL has this uh, weird format where there's a proper shake up like you know after three years you can only retain five or six players do five or six players form the core group of a T20 team i don't think so the rate at which t20 as a format keeps growing and uh, evolving but that's pretty much how it's based and now next year we might have nine teams or 10 teams and then it makes things crazier so i mean i know we will come to that so a lot of uh, players who went unsold this year like whether it was uh, of course australia's famous number 3 batsman marcus labushain or uh, e- even like you know the, <laughs> the likes of aaron finch or those guys might come into the picture next year when teams are looking to like uh like i said form a core and uh, form in like in some cases you'll see if, if a team finishes bottom this season we've seen it with punjab and rajasthan in the past they might just get rid of all their players and want to start a fresh next year so these things keep evolving but these mini auctions are like um that's why you see so much money being spent during them and you know that i, I love the voice over of uh, that guy who does like that that to me tells me that you're in the presence of a lot of rich indians the guy who like you know introduces the thing if you saw it well here it is the ipl auction every year the ipl has grown from that guy i have i i don't know who he is but i've heard his voice in a lot of uh, five star hotel rooms around india for these press conferences which <laughs> is attended by a lot of rich people <laughs> so th- as far as the rights to retain players and all the rest of it that will be shaken up next year as well right with the two new teams coming in there'll be fewer the probably the existing teams will be able to retain fewer players so that some of the quality players get shaken loose to to become part of the two new teams that's exactly how it happened the last time uh, the IPL introduced uh, two teams they went from 8 to 10 which is way back in 2011 when they brought in uh, Kochi and Pune and that's the last time we've had 10 teams and i think they that lasted for two years maybe yeah two two years and then like of course this is this was the ipl during its most controversial phase both of them uh, faded away so uh, and then of course we had like pune and uh, gujarat come in when chennai and rajasthan were suspended but there's those were they eventually became pseudo chennai pseudo rajasthan it not just in terms of mm. players but with coaching staff steven fleming going to pune as you guys know uh, and dhoni playing for pune so the whole retention thing will come into the picture a lot more next year like you said but uh, they also introduced something called a right to match card so you can still retain um, two of your players in the auction and you'll see that happen i remember krunal pandya went for a lot of money a lot of teams were bid for him and then finally mumbai indians got him back with the right to match card this was i think 3 or 4 years ago so the next year's auction will be very different where it'll be more strategic as well so teams will like to uh, just keep raising the paddle so that uh, there'll be some players that every franchise would want to retain and to use that right to match card so they'll just keep ra- raising the price so that they end up paying more money So in terms of uh, where we started off from an Australian perspective we might go through a few few of the England uh, uh players as well there were 11 Australians who were already on lists so Hazelwood Stoinis Daniel Sams Pat Cummins Chris Lynn AJ Tai Josh, Josh Philippi uh, Adam Zampa Kane Richardson David Warner and Mitchell Marsh so they were already accounted for uh, so they weren't up for auction on this occasion so we were looking at a different I suppose different type of player a few who've been let go sure like Aaron Finch but players like Jai Richardson who didn't just become an overnight millionaire which 
is always the cliche around the Indian Premier League auction, but ended up going for $2.48 million in Australian currency. We know he's a star and we know he's going to play a lot of international cricket, but I suppose, Brad, this is almost reflective of not what he's done for Australia, but what he's been able to do in the Big Bash League. There's often a bounce there, isn't there, for Big Bash players when the, when the IPL comes around due to the, the proximity of the draft to the end of that competition. Absolutely. The Big Bash is perfectly placed uh, in terms of the auction, like you said, and we've seen that in the past as well. With the, and there is, there is a thing for Australian players within the IPL it also has a lot to do with the number of Australian coaches you have in the IPL so there is yep. always a push for them yeah I mean there is a similar kind of push coming for, uh, from some of the New Zealand coaches but New Zealand just does not have enough players because they play their T20 tournament around the time of the auction as well so uh, that tournament is also like perfectly timed in terms of uh, for the players context anyway so uh, yeah I think this the mini auctions are generally more about uh, places or like spots within the team than the players themselves like so a team a franchise might go into the market they they might have the like you know most teams had 16 17 players already so maybe they went into the market looking for two fast bowlers or maybe a power hitting all-rounder and those were the guys who went for a lot of money whether you look at Chris Morris or uh, Kyle Jamieson mm. uh, and of course the two Australian fast bowlers and it, actually even some of the others like Nathan Coulter Nile and uh, uh, Ben Cutting similar kind of cricketers who went for uh, a, a lot of money so I think this year it had a lot to do with uh, uh, you know, and also I think it has a lot to do with the fact that India has started producing so much top order talent in terms of batting that you don't see too many teams go for uh, um, high stakes uh, top order foreign batsmen. It's mainly like guys who bring that X factor either as an all rounder or Riley Meredith with that extra pace. Like we've seen yep. uh, Mitchell Johnson have a big impact in the IPL on Indian pitches in the past. Even uh, uh, Andre Nokia last year, I thought, had a good IPL, though it was in the UAE. But that pace and bounce is the X factor. And that's one of the main reasons Riley Meredith uh, went to Punjab. I hope he starts saying Punjab, guys. They've paid a lot of money. money. He's still, still sticking to Punjab for now, which could be a concern going forward on social media anyway. <laughs> so, in terms of the amount of money, it's not as straightforward as it looks, right? If you say Glenn Maxwell got bought for $2.5 million, it's not like he gets $2.5 million necessarily because it's divided up by how many matches you play and then you take out various tariffs and agent your agent's fees and then the tax you pay on it in whatever country you're registered in and you know by the time you actually get your payout it's it's something a lot less oh yeah absolutely like you know you heard Jai Richardson and Riley Meredith both talk about oh we didn't know how many zeros went into a crore and how they sat there calculating uh, like you know how much they actually end up being bought for they have no idea what they have in uh, like you know in store for them when it comes to the taxes and how much money they can actually bring into Australia and how much of it they can spend and how much tax they're going to pay here and there and like, and like you know all three of us have dealt with Indian companies like you know where uh, we need our bloody tax residency certificates to even like <laughs> make <laughs> ensure that our tax doesn't cut in two different countries I just applied for mine by the way so um, yeah it, it, it is very complicated it also has to do with a lot of uh, uh, number of games you play in the past like I, I'm sure things have changed in the past it would also have some teams would get you to uh, uh, you know 
it, it's not always money. You could get shares in that company. You end up investing that money into that company. That's happened in the past as well, uh, especially with uh, some Indian players, I would say. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not as straightforward as like now Glenn Maxwell is a billionaire. Glenn Maxwell would know about it. I think he's seen more Indian rupees come into his account than any other Australian maybe ever. And uh, Vinny would go for plenty as well, like especially with her Kapil Dev action. Call off. You sent me a picture yesterday of her showing off her Kapil Dev. She would go for plenty. I, I'd like to think so. That load up of Kapil Dev that she's got going at the moment whenever she gets cricket ball in hand. She's going to sit on my lap for the rest of the interview having woken up from her nap. Um, <laughs> let's go to Maxie. A lot of people, uh, Brat, who listen to this show will be interested in, in the news that Maxwell went for yeah big money, $2.5 million, I think it was, in Australian currency, the, the highest paid Australian player now in the competition, aside from Pat Cummins, who, of course, was retained last year. With Glenn, I mean, it didn't have a, a huge... IPL last year, but has always progressively increased the price that he's worth. Can you explain sort of the economics of that? And, and I suppose the brand Maxwell in the IPL, despite having not had a massive competition for a few years now? Yeah, I mean, 2014 was uh, his really breakthrough season. And yep. he scored a lot of runs in the UAE leg of the IPL and then didn't really do that much once they came back to India. Kings 11 Punjab, of course, went to the finals and then lost. Uh, so, Glenn Maxwell is is always an intriguing one because uh, a lot of teams have ended up paying money based on his potential rather than his returns, you know, and that's been the case uh, for what, since 2014, since what he did in the IPL that year. Mm, but mm. what Glenn Maxwell does smartly is in between IPL auctions, he goes and scores a lot of runs, crucial runs for Australia and white ball cricket. And you know what you're going to get with Glenn Maxwell. If he has a great day, he's going to win you the match. If he has a great week, he's going to win you three or four matches. And I think this, you could see that Chennai really needed a game breaker like that in the lower order and also tells you the fact that they went and got Moin Ali uh, is that Dhoni has acknowledged the fact that he's not the finisher he used to be. Now with Suresh Rana coming back, that top order is sorted with Faf and uh, uh, Ruturaj Gaikwad, but they needed like someone in the lower order. So I really was very confident that he would go to Chennai and they they kept at it till the very end. Uh, but then right. uh, uh, RCB kind of... Uh, how you, I don't think you can say they stole him away from uh, Chennai mm. considering the amount of money they're playing. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I guess it has a lot to do with uh, Maxwell and Kohli and the relationship they share as well. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, it's been described as a very RCB pick. And I mean, we've had Tim Wigmore and Freddie Wilde on the show explain the RCB business model as it contrasts, shall we say, to KKRs, for example. Can you explain what people mean when they say a very RCB pick? I know because RCB have in the past as well gone and splurged a lot of money on uh, a big name player, Yuvraj Singh, whose record was now broken yeah. by Glenn <laughs> Maxwell. He went to RCB and we've seen it many times in the past. Uh, and uh, uh, just to compare models, Mumbai Indians, for example, have never spent over 10 crore on any player. Uh, and right. they won six titles. So like, you know, their model has always been very different to an RCB. Mumbai were like RCB in the past. Well, they would always get attracted by the most uh, popular name going around in the T20 circuit, whether it was Richard Levy or even Graham Napier a long time ago. Uh, but they yeah, changed. Yeah. Once they won, that, won their first title, I think they completely changed their 
whole um, uh, outlook towards IPL auctions. But RCB have stayed the same and uh, KKR again have their own way of going about buying their players. But yeah, I mean, he's an RCB pick. Now the interesting thing is like, where do you fit him in? Uh, because they've Well, where do they fit any of them in? They have six Australians <laughs> in one IPL squad because Dan Christian's gone there, Zampa is there, uh, Philippi is there. Kane Richardson's like, there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is it Simon Kadic coaching there, right? So, like, one Australian coach has six Australian players. And what a fun squad. team as well. We talk about fun groups of Australian players. I mean, that, that's a good night out at the IPL disco. Oh, absolutely. And Mike Hessen is director of cricket. Kyle Jamison goes for a lot of money as well. And who, where does he go? He goes to RCB. So these connections, like I said at the start, uh, yeah, you've seen that happen a lot throughout the IP. I mean, it is an Indian league, but in at many levels, it's run by outsiders. Like, you know, at least the t- teams are owned by Indians, but the franchises are like, you know, the team directors or the coaches are very... That's why you'll hear a lot of Indian players. Uh, I was on some talk show with Parthiv Patel recently, who has been let go by RCB and of course he's already retired from cricket and now he's a scout for Mumbai Indians he spoke about it a lot and you'll hear a lot of Indian players saying no no we need more Indians we need more Indians coaching we we need more Indian managers Mm -hmm. and one of the main reasons is that I mean you almost at some level feel like yeah there's a lot of money there which is going overseas but that money if divided properly you could get like a lot of Indian talent because there is a lot of Indian talent knocking on the door yeah. these days so yeah it's one of those things but I, yeah I don't see how A.B. De Villiers and Glenn Maxwell and Kyle Jamison and Dan Christian are going to play but but that's the thing with the IPL auction these days I think it's changed with scouting and the way they buy players as well I, I think a Glenn Maxwell might not end up playing 16 matches or 14 matches he might actually mm. be the game breaker that they use for 3 or 4 games and back him to really win those four games for them so that could be one way they look at it but yeah it's going to be interesting Mm. to see whether he's retained for the same fee next year you talked about Indian talent and there being a lot of good top order batsmen and and wicket keepers as well I guess which is reflected in the England picks where Moen Ali got picked up for 700,000 pounds whereas Alex Hales and and Jason Roy didn't get picked up at all Sam Billings as a keeper and interesting that that David Milan got picked up pretty cheaply 150,000 pounds relatively given he's the number one T20I batsman in the world but yeah again that thing of like why pick a foreign player as your opener when there are so many good Indian openers yeah I mean if you are spending money on a foreign player you want him to bring that X factor something extra that you won't get in get in India I mean it's kind of if you look at it it's it's very much like an Indian company hiring someone uh, I mean a non-cricket Indian company hiring someone from abroad or an Australian company you have to literally like prove to the government or the local public that, you know, we've gotten and found someone from outside because there is nobody in this country who could do the job at that same level. And I think that kind of kind of reflects at times at the IPL auction. But the thing with Alex Hales or Jason Roy, and we spoke about Aaron Finch and Martin Guptill, those guys have just never really cracked the IPL code. I mean, they are global superstars when it comes to white ball cricket. But they've never had like a great IPL. Aaron Finch has played for more franchises than anyone else. Um, and apart from, I think, one season uh, or a couple of seasons, he uh, did okay for Gujarat. He's never had a great season. Similarly, Alex Hale, similarly, Jason Roy and Martin Guptil, another name that comes to mind. So now that you have Devdar Padikkal and Ruturaj Gaikwad and all these guys, maybe that time has come. 
obviously eight England players, the high-profile England players have been retained as well. So your Morgan, Stokes, Archer, Butler group, for instance. But one player who has never been a feature of the IPL in the past and hasn't been this time either is Adil Rashid, which... It's perplexing to those of us who watch him a lot at short-form cricket. I mean, he's a phenomenal uh, wrist-spin bowler. He's only getting better, it would seem. Can you unpick that for us, how he doesn't actually get an opportunity in this competition? It's too Pakistani for the IPL. They, they, <laughs> they won't let any Pakistan players I was going to let Parat say that. So. <laughs> yeah, I can say that now that I'm here in safe Adelaide. But yeah, it, I'm sure it has something to do with it. But again, I think foreign spinners, unless you are an Imran Tahir who takes wickets at that crazy rate. Yep. And uh, Chennai is the only team who I could have pictured going for someone like Adil Rashid. Maybe they will. Like once Imran Tahir does uh, finally, like, you know, run off the field and doesn't come back, maybe Adil Rashid is that someone... That will never they, happen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will never happen I'm sure and by then maybe Adil Rashid will be the right Chennai Super Kings age as well he might be closer to 35 which is when they try to get yeah. in players especially from overseas but again like you know uh, to get a foreign spinner and considering you can play only four overseas players in each playing 11 you almost feel like you can always find one spinner who's good enough in India who comes at a lower price to have in there so that you can have like a Riley Meredith or a Kyle Jamieson or yeah. someone who has that extra bit to them uh, in place of them. And to round out the Australian uh, players, so Nathan Coulton, I did very well again, uh, 885,000. Uh, Dan Christian, the bloke that wins everything. What does he say? Old blokes win shit. <laughs> uh, he gets signed uh, for another IPL season. Moses Enriquez uh, does likewise. And then Ben Cutting, who kind of rounds it out, his old mate, Brendan McCullum, uh, there at KKR, picking up his old Brisbane Heat uh, teammate. But Ben Cutting's an interesting one as far as you never really think about him in terms of Australian selection, certainly not in recent years, but there isn't a foreign league going who doesn't want Ben Cutting on their list. And, and why wouldn't Dan Christian be a possibility to play for Australia oh, in t We should be campaigning for this, shouldn't we, Butter? I mean, you'd agree. Dan Christian should play in the T20 World Cup in India later this year, surely. Oh, absolutely. He's been my favourite T20 player for a long time because uh, he, he's just, just something about him. He just, like, you know, the way he walks around. I remember watching a lot of him during his days in Pune and just him in the nets, like, he would hit the ball as cleanly as Ben Stokes, I remember, during the, the net sessions. And Dan Christian's an interesting one. Like, you know, I remember covering the 2011 IPL auction from Bangalore. Uh, and at that point, he became the highest, uh, or during that auction, he was the he, he was the one foreign player who went for most money. And now when you look back at it, it was like some 4.4 crore. It wasn't even a million dollars. And that's how much the IPL has grown in the 10 years since. And, you know, and this was back when there wasn't much scouting. Like, you know, I got Nathan Remington a gig in the IPL. I mean, I like to take credit for it. <laughs> And purely on the basis, like back then I used to write these previews and I was going to Bangalore. So my boss would say, just pick two guys and like, you know, write like a nice preview. So I picked Mick Lewis. I spoke to him because, you know, he was, he had this whole thing, oh, the worst bowling figures in one day cricket and all that. And Nathan Remington, I picked purely because of his hair and his beard. I loved it. And I said, like, I'm going to find, and I got, got a contact for him through Queensland cricket, wrote about him. Next day he goes unsold. And then in the second round, he gets picked. He he actually called and said that, mate, you changed my life. Like, you know, <laughs> I can't believe I've gone for it. <laughs> so, I mean, a little bit of credit for him. But the guy, Dan Christian, should play in that T20 World Cup because he knows the Indian conditions better than most. He almost won Pune the final in 2017. Uh, so, yep. uh, I, I'm happy he's back. But Ben Cutting, ben Cutting I interviewed two years ago, Kolo, about 
uh, the whole freelancers in uh, world cricket and he is a pioneer that way in an australian context so he has really changed the way australians look at the freelance market and he took his own call i mean he said i remember he spoke about how he was walking the dog one day and he said you know what yeah i'm i'm not getting too much joy from queensland cricket um and this is a good way to go and he like ben cutting nathan coulternile they're just like ipl favorites Barat, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm sure it will happen again before too long. Thanks for being on The Final Word. And when he's loved it as well, Baz, uh, she's been sitting here absolutely captivated and watching you down the screen while sucking on her toothbrush. Easily pleased. <laughs> I, I, I take that as a compliment from Minnie because the last time I met her, she just cried. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you to Bharat Sundaresan. You can find him on CrickBuzz or anywhere around the internet. Easy to find these days. Towards the end of the show, uh, we need to just check in with our Bannerman search. So we've been looking at Bannerman-like exploits over the last few weeks. Players who have made a large percentage of the team's runs as per the discussion about Joe Burns earlier today and uh, the nominations keep coming in. I like that we're doing this at the end of the show each week, Jeff. I feel like this is the little uh, the little nugget for the mm. final word ultras who would stick around to the end to the final segment because they're the types who have a deep interest in all things Bannerman. So, and they uh, know that there's there might be something gold buried there. There yeah. might be sometimes right at the end of the show, that's where the best bit is. And the people who are impatient, who've dropped off, well, they don't get this. Uh, yeah. I've got Winnie, by the, by the way, under the table now, who's at my feet going, dad, 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 dad. It's extremely cute. I'll be back with you in a sec, love. I promise. Uh, Richard Clark uh, has one for us to note. He's enjoying the Bannerman search, which I'm not surprised, Richard, a fantastic correspondent of ours on Patreon. It inevitably brings him back to his favourite Worcestershire and New Zealand opening batsman, Glenn Maitland Turner, who well, we talked we, about. We so often. We don't talk about Glenn Turner on the show very much <laughs> at all. It's just a... Well, he's the holder of the first-class Bannerman. So he isn't sure whether we're familiar with this particular set of numbers, but in 1977, in a county championship match uh, with Worcestershire playing Glamorgan at Swansea, beautiful ground Swansea, where, of course, uh, Sobers hit his six sixes in a row, mm-hmm. um, Turner scored 141 not out out of Worcestershire's 169 all out. 83.43% of the runs for Turner on that day. No one else made it to double figures. The next highest score was seven and <laughs> 10 other batsmen contributed 14 scoring shots between them, plus a solitary leg by, which was the only sundry. The rest of the scorecard read one, three, five, three, zero, four, zero, four, seven, zero. Now that is a proper Bannerman, says Richard Clark in signing off, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Call 135-3040-470 to reach the other 10 Worcestershire batsmen that day. Um, yeah, that, that's that's magnificent work. And yeah, the fact that the next highest score was seven and it was made by the number 10, presumably. Yes. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I made 10. <laughs> I made more than all of those players Hell yeah. on, the, on the weekend. So that, that tells you something about... The quality that was going on, but there was quality at, at one end from Glenn Turner. So send us in your uh, your Bannerman noms, players who've made a large percentage of runs. Could be in local cricket, could be whatever you've played. The team needs to be all out. That's our caveat. Like, it doesn't have to be 10 wickets down. They could be retired, hurt or whatever, as per the original Bannerman score. But, exactly. Um, a score in an all-out innings. 
More of that on Storytime, which will come up on the weekend. Between times, there'll be episodes every day from Thursday of the India-England Daily, by which time I'll have flown to the other side of the world with Rach and Winnie and set up back in our house. So Jeff will be on his screen, I'll be on mine, and we'll have that all on the YouTube channel. I should say and remind anyone out there who might want to be involved with us commercially that we don't actually have a a partner for the India-England Daily. We didn't get around to it because we were very busy at the time, you know, making stuff. But if you're listening to this and you are interested in, in working with us over the last couple of matches we've had i think more than five hundred thousand people watch us on youtube in like a month and a half which feels mm-hmm. like a pretty big number uh, and we're near enough to two million downloads on the bad producer production label which is totally amazing so if you want to be part of all the fun with us final word cricket at gmail.com or find us on patreon patreon.com forward slash the final word where of course you can make a nerd pledge you can uh, and you can help keep the show going that is what has made that happen and has made this a going concern a couple of times a week it's on the bad producer podcast network they have other shows you can listen into if you want to hear about other things that are not cricket because god sometimes we need to do that as well uh it is edited each week twice a week and sometimes more than that by david (laughs) collins who must be very very sick of listening to our voices by now and it is presented by adam collins no relation and me jeff lemon adam thank you for the last few months of uh your company in Australia. Rachel, thank you for your forbearance as I record in your living room once more. Winnie, thank you for being you and uh, all the rest of you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with our trans-global show. Uh, Sorry if I ran out of empty so you know what I meant here. I had to go about